Amen. All right, so question. I want an answer on this one by show of hands. Raise your hand. C. It's all we see. Okay, it's not multiple choice. <laughs> um, if you are an extrovert, raise your hand. Extroverts. No, I'm not raising my hand. I, I'm just showing what it looks like to raise your hand. Uh, extroverts. Wow, a lot of extroverts right in the middle there. Okay. Uh, introverts, raise your hand. Wow, you actually did it. <laughs> okay. Close to 50-50, which you can assume there's more introverts because they probably didn't raise their hand because they're <laughs> introverted. Uh, the, I like the, the idea of introvert versus extrovert. You know, it's a, it's a spectrum, obviously, and we fall somewhere on that spectrum. But really, it, it, it's summed up in how are you energized? Are you energized by being with people, extrovert, and you're crazy? Or energized by being alone? And so, so that's where you get your... Not that you don't like people... You just don't like them as much as the extroverts like people. But there can be a tendency on both sides. So the, the introvert, which I understand, has a tendency maybe to close up in a book or a, a warm blanket in a couch and just be alone, which is great, uh, and just be alone and not really enter into relationships with others. That's the temptation. Or the extrovert, the temptation is to just connect with so many people that you really never connect on a deep level with anybody because you're just spread out there so much. Today, we are on our third week of the DNA series, and we're looking at what it takes, not really what it takes, but, but what it takes to be part of the body of Christ, that as Christians, we are different. Something happens when we're saved and we're changed, uh, and the goal is that we become more and more like Jesus but we're changed, and so today we're talking about those relationships. Whether you're extrovert or introvert, we need each other. Um, I learned this lesson a couple weeks ago. I was building a shed, and as I'm building the shed, uh, I'm hanging siding, and it's four feet by eight feet. And if you've ever tried to do that by yourself, it's like, and then Lydia gets there, a 13-year-old girl, and with her helping, it was awesome. It went so much faster. Things were straighter, but it was just kind of one of those things that two people get more than twice the amount of work done. I don't know if, if you've experienced that. Two people get more than twice the amount of work done. Um, another example that came to mind is backing onto a trailer. You know, if you know how to back a truck or onto a trailer, it's kind of hard, but I'm really good at it. But, but I can do it. I can do it without any help. Yeah, I'm pumping myself up a little bit. Affirm me. So, so I've got this little line on the back of my truck. I can get pretty close, but I still have to get out two or three times to, to line it up and measure. Whereas if somebody else is back there helping, it's, you know, one shot, boom, right on, save a lot of time. Why is that? Well, because that other person can see things I can't see. They can see things. They can help give some minor adjustments. And I think that's a really good example of us in our Christian life. Why we need others is they can see some things that we can't see. No matter how mature you are, there's some things that other people, if they really know you, they'll be able to see. And if they have permission, They'll be able to help give some direction, spirit-led, to guide you onto that trailer, to guide you where God wants you to go. Uh, as we are in this DNA series, you know, we, we start out, and I talk about this all the time, you know, why are we followers of Jesus? You know, what is the goal of the Christian life? Because so often we can think it's Christian activity, right? We can think being a Christian means you go to church and now God likes you and you get to go to heaven. But really, the call from Jesus was, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So, I, you know, 
I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. So there's a job to do, he says, but learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this walk with Jesus is one full of rest and peace and it's a light load rather than sometimes what we get in religion is a lot of duty and it becomes busy and, and it's this heavy load of even guilt for our sin and those things. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, and, and we've talked about that before, but that abundant life and the word he uses for life isn't the word bios as in biology, as in physical life. It's the word zoe, which means ah, life. Life is good, you know, it's the picture of the person on the beach with the corona, you know, it's that, you know, not that you need a corona, but it's the, but that's the idea of that word is life. And Jesus said, I came that may, they may have life and have it abundantly, meaning he doesn't want us to be religious, grumpy people getting through this life, obeying him. He wants us to enjoy this life, but part of enjoying this life and doing what he wants to do is, and accomplish what he wants to accomplish through us is we live a certain way. And here's, here's the goal. We started two weeks ago with this verse, Romans 8, 29. And it's on the screen. You don't have to look it up. It says, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. The goal is that we become like Jesus. God's plan for you. If you ever, what's God's will for my life? Here's the big one. He wants you to become like Jesus. You know, in Romans 12, it, it talks about, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know what the will of God is, that which is good and perfect and acceptable. And so it's becoming like Jesus is the goal. So how do we become like Jesus? We know that it's God's work in and through us to help us become like Jesus but as we look at Jesus' life, we learn some things about his life. So if we're supposed to be like Jesus, and really what we're seeking to do is allow him to live in and through us, we see, well, how did he live his life? So how should we live ours? And as we study the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus' life was all about relationships. Again, I, I've been in the church a long time, and we can get drawn into religion, but yet Jesus was the most anti-religious person. <laughs> he was a great Jew. I mean, he obeyed the law perfectly. But he was anti-religion for religion's sake. He was really all about relationship. And as you study the Gospels, you'll see he was really about three relationships. And the first week we looked at the first one, the relationship with the Father. We call that our up relationship, and that's on our board over here. But Jesus is the essence of transformation because the goal is to be transformed, to be like Jesus. Well, Jesus is the essence of that. So we want to connect with God. That is the most important relationship in your life. You know, when I do counseling or talk to people, if you have problems in work, if you have problems with your spouse, if you have problems with your kids, it all starts here. It means we need to stop maybe focusing so much on this and look at how are we abiding in Jesus? How are we connecting with him? Because it's all about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But then the second relationship that you see is Jesus prioritized relationships with his buddies, with his close-knit group, his disciples. And then the final one is out. We're going to look at that a little bit more next week. But Jesus had a relationship with those who didn't know God yet, who didn't know him yet. And so here's in your notes, if you're a note taker, but how does a Christian prioritize their time? Because relationships are all formed through time. There's, there's, we looked at that the first week. What if somebody proposed to a woman, a man proposed, and he said, I'm going to love you the rest of my life. And here's how it's going to look. I'm going to spend an hour with you every Sunday. <laughs> And every week, I'm going to have some friends over and you can come too and we'll talk about you. 
you know, that wouldn't really, that really wouldn't work. Or, or, you know, when life really happens and things are hard, I'm going to talk to you a lot during those times. No, relationships are formed through time. And so we saw that in order for this relationship with God to be a priority, we want to spend daily time with God. So God time, time spent daily with God or with God daily. That is central. And we can, we can argue around that. We can, we can try and get out of that. But we need to, if we want to be a faithful Jesus follower, if we want to become like Jesus, we need to spend regular time with God. Jesus did it all the time. Jesus would be with the crowds and he would leave the crowds. He would leave his disciples to go pray, to go spend time with the Father. He did it late at night. He did it early in the morning. He did it whenever he could to connect with the Father. But then the second time, the other time that we prioritize, and Paul talked about this last week, is gather time. This is time spent weekly gathering to worship. This church gathering, whether it's this church or another church that's seeking to follow God, this gathering is important. This is a time where we get together to worship. Paul talked about uh, Hebrews, a passage he said he wasn't going to talk about last week, and he talked about it a lot. But where it said, do not forsake the gathering together. Meaning, you know, Paul, under influence of the Holy Spirit, was saying, get together, do this thing where you come together to worship, uh, where you sing some songs, where you connect with each other, where you listen to some guy blab on about the Bible. Do this. <laughs> get together. And all the more, as you see the day drawing near, get together. So gather time is important. You know, what, what Paul talked about last week I thought was really important, and it's going to bleed into this week's some, where people talk about, you know, my relationship with God is just me and God. I really don't need other people. But yet that's not the way God designed it. For some reason, there's something that happens uniquely when God's people gather together to worship. You know, we prayed this morning. We do it every Sunday morning before we get together. And our big prayer is that God shows up. And so we gather expecting God to show up because he does things uniquely in a gathering that he doesn't do even in our alone time with him. So gather time is a priority. But today we're looking at the third time that we prioritize because Jesus did. Time spent consistently with a small group of Jesus followers from my church. Group time. Time spent consistently with a small group of Jesus followers from my church. We often get confused that we think religious activity equals religious maturity or spiritual activity equals spiritual maturity. And so we can get really busy in the church. And maybe you've experienced this in your own life or seen this in the life of others in a church. They're really busy, always doing church things, but they don't look any more like Jesus. They're not being transformed. They're still grumpy. They're still mean. They're, you know, they're still selfish. They're still proud, but they're really busy with church stuff. Rather, our goal is to be transformed. And so here at Common Ground, we have made, from the beginning, we made a big decision. And the decision was, we're not going to do a lot of things. And, and I know some of you, we've had these conversations a lot, wrestling with, why aren't there women's ministries? Why aren't there men's ministries? And as you look at our society, the, the fact of the matter is we're strapped for time, right? We've got baseball. We've got gymnastics. We've, we've got horse riding. I mean, just go through the list. We're busy. We don't have a lot of time slots. And so the studies will show people will give you one time slot. Maybe two. And so for us, we go, okay, if that's the fact, what, what would we want people to do outside of Sunday? One thing, we think it's getting in groups. So we don't do all these things to make people choose because the one thing that we want people to get in is groups because we believe that community is the context for transformation. 
that lives change in authentic community around the Word of God. Because you can be really busy doing spiritual things, but not be changed. Uh, we handed these out the first week, these magnets. And if you didn't get one, they're on the info table. Grab one on your way out. Um, but these talk about our, our values. And this is a big one. We, we put in here, the goal is life change. The goal is, life, the goal is not to have a big church, to look really cool. The goal is not for us to discover the way to look right as a Christian and learn to do those things. The goal is transformation, to actually be like Jesus. And that happens best in authentic community around the word. If you don't believe me, Look at Mark 11. Now, we're going to spend our time in Colossians. Mark, or Mark 3 is going to pop up here. Uh, but if you want to turn to Colossians, we're going to be in Colossians 3. But Mark 3, 13 through 14, we looked at this two weeks ago also. Here's Jesus. He goes away from the crowd. He goes up onto a mountain and says this. And he went up on the mountain. And he called to them those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. So Jesus, he was really good at gathering a crowd. The way he spoke, the miracles he did, he could get a crowd like nobody else. But he often went away from the crowd, and this is one of those examples where he had a big crowd, and he left, and he went to a mountain, and he prayed all night before this, and then he called to him twelve, those whom we know as his disciples or his apostles. He called them to him, and he chose them, but why did he choose them? First of all, he appointed 12 so that they might be with him. We looked at this a couple weeks ago that we're chosen by God for a relationship with God. Just like the disciples were first chosen to have a relationship with Jesus, that's our first relationship up. But also, Jesus had this smaller group. There was a lot. He could have chosen more than 12. We know when Jesus died and rose again and he ascended, there were 120 or so in a room when the Holy Spirit came. Not all 120 were in his tight-knit group. There was only 12. So 12 men close to him. And as you read through the Gospels, you'll see how Jesus did life with these 12. He had a different relationship with these 12 than he had with the rest of the group. He would teach the crowds, and then he would turn and go, here's what I'm really saying. <laughs> he would give them inside knowledge. He would, he would let them ask questions. He would test them. He was building a relationship with them. And, and as you see in the Gospels how these disciples grew, they needed that. I mean, Jesus at one point, he feeds 5,000 people. Awesome miracle. And then a couple days later, they're out with another crowd and he's teaching and now there's 10,000. And he goes, how are we going to feed these people? And all the disciples go, I don't know. <laughs> and you're thinking, you just saw him do it. And so he, again, he feeds all of them with just a couple fish and, and a couple loaves of bread. And then they're carrying all these loaves down to the sea. Uh, they get down there, and they, they're going out on the ocean, and, and a storm comes up. And they're like, oh, they're all freaking out. And you just see this over and over. The disciples are growing. And it's through this ongoing relationship where Jesus is with them, and they're with each other as well. So Jesus had 12 men. Jesus' priority with his closest group was relationship, not activity. They were sent out to preach. These 12 and the others did change the known world after Jesus died, uh, rose again, and ascended. But first of all, they were in relationship with one another. I can't wait to be in heaven to hear the stories of those times around the campfire, Jesus and the 12. Because we get a lot of details in the Gospels, but there's a lot we don't get. What was Jesus' sense of humor like? 
I know he had one because he invented the sense of human humor. You know what? <laughs> the sense of human. He invented that too. <laughs> but what was what was that like? They had relationships. You know, they had inside jokes. They had those glances. You know, where they knew some things about each other, and Jesus more than any. So he prioritized these. Look at Colossians three. Colossians three. 12 through 16. Now, we spent months going through the book of Colossians. And in Colossians 3, we're seeing a description of a faithful Jesus follower. We're seeing a description of the person who has been changed by a connection with Jesus Christ. All of Colossians has led up. It's said first, you know, it's all about Jesus. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus. It's not about anything else. It's all about Jesus. Seek a relationship with him. The way you walk is not by religion or duty. It's by walking in him. We could say walk in the spirit. We could say abide. It's all about that. And then here's what your life is going to look like. Take off worldly things. Take the sin that you can still do. Put that aside and do these things. And so he describes it, Colossians 3. I'm going to read 12 through 16. Put on then as God's chosen ones, Holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving him thanks, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul here is describing the person walking with Christ, the person letting Jesus live in and through them. He's saying, you put off these things and now put on these things. As we look at lists, there's several other lists in the New Testament. Is there another list that this kind of sounds similar to? The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. It says the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit is the result when somebody is walking in the Spirit. It's the result when somebody is abiding with Jesus, spending good time with Jesus, letting him live in and through them, these things happen. Meaning, all these lists aren't things we're supposed to go out and just go, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to be compassionate. They're a result of being connected to Jesus. So the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit. Look at these lists. Can you do these things by yourself, introverts? No, these are almost all exclusively relational. It, it's tempting to read these verses and see the word you, which is used five times in these verses in Colossians, and think that you is talking to me. Well, as we understand the context, and, and Greek is different than, than English, this you is plural. Uh, I had a, a conversation, I was making fun of a southerner at one point years ago for using the word y'all. I'm like, hey, y'all. <laughs> and they're like, well, what do you do to say a whole group? I'm like, well, I guess it's you guys. Like, y'all is a little better than you guys. Hey, are you guys coming over? <laughs> you know, so we have this, but, but it's true. So how do we make you plural? 
it's either you guys or you all or all y'all. <laughs> all y'all. Are you from the South? Texas, that's South, pretty South. <laughs> south of there is Mexico, and it would be, I don't know. Um, they probably have a good word for y'all. But in here, these five words, you, are, are y'all, or all y'all, or you guys. And so these are all a description of you within community. You can't do this in a tent in the desert. You can't do this in a cabin in a hill in Alaska when it's just you all by yourself, although that sounds great for a little while. This is you within community. Without community, it's in your notes, I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. It's a little blunt, isn't it? Without community, I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. Think about that. Say that to yourself real quick. Without community, I cannot faithfully follow Jesus. Last week, Paul said you can't faithfully be part of the gathering and carry out the, the one another's of Scripture by coming late and leaving early. Now, I would, I would take that a step further. You can't even carry out the one another's of Scripture here on Sunday. All the things that we're told to do for one another, all these things, it can't happen on a Sunday with, with casual relationships where it's just, hey, I know you. You know, we've seen each other the last four Sundays. Ha <laughs> ha. These things come when you really know one another and do life with one another. That's why we prioritize relationships, group, faithful, deep relationships with others. Relationships are hard. But have you ever had a, you ever had a bad week and you see somebody, maybe Sunday morning, maybe in the grocery store, you see somebody and they say, hey, how are you? And you know that's just another way of saying hi. And so you say, fine. And they go, no. And they look at you and they go, how are you? And, and maybe this is somebody that knows what's going on in life. At that point, don't you just kind of change? <laughs> there's, at least in, there's something that goes, this person actually cares. This person all of a sudden has become Jesus with skin on because they actually want to know. And if they're the type, you know, walking in Jesus, they're a close friend, they know what's going on in your life. They say, no, how are you? They already know some things and you share and then they want to, to enter in and help if they can or Often the better thing, men, is to not help and just listen. You know, just be there. But that's part of being Jesus with skin on is just to listen, just to be a caring ear, not have to fix it, men, um, me. <laughs> but, but just to listen, being Jesus with skin on takes knowing each other. Takes knowing each other. Look at verse 13. He says, bearing with one another. We already said all these things are talking about in relationship. But now Paul seems to understand relationships. And he says, you need to bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Meaning relationships aren't always going to be hunky-dory. There's going to be issues. And as you read through Acts, you see Paul had, had fallouts with other believers. He had, and then you see reconciliation with those later on. But relationships are hard. When you enter in, you could get hurt. You could share something with somebody, and they could share that with somebody else. And that hurts. And the tendency is to close up. The tendency, you know, we can then build these walls. I've been wounded so many times. I'll just do life on my own because I'm better than anybody else anyway. I'll just do it on my own. Uh, that's the tendency. But here, we, we build relationships. We open up ourselves, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard. This is... This is one of those things where, where we at Common Ground, you know, we have a, 
are all in covenant. So we don't have membership here, but we have all in ministers. Those who said, you know, I belong to Jesus. I want to go all in with Jesus. He has my life. And now I want to be part of the mission of common ground carrying out. Well, one of those things all in is it's not about me. It's not about me. That's one of them. But what we say with that is we fight for peace. We are, we are given unity in the Holy Spirit, but we fight for that unity. That's what Paul's talking about here. There will be complaints. Within a family, there's complaints all the time, right? Within a church, it's the same thing. Within a group, a small group, it's going to happen because you're going to let each other down, unfortunately. He says, but it's worth it. Get in relationships, bear with one another, and be ready to forgive one another. So as a church, as we've said, we're going to fight for peace. This is one of those things that we won't take lightly. And we've experienced this over our, our short two-year period of dissensions, and we deal with that of people gossiping about slander, all those things. When we hear about that, we deal with it immediately because unity is so key. And the importance of being an authentic relationship is so key. So if you don't believe me that small groups have always been part of the church, because that's been an argument. Well, you don't see small groups in the Bible, so I don't have to do that. Acts 2, 42, and then 46 through 47, it's going to be on the screen. This is describing the early church. Not, not all the time descriptions in the Bible aren't always good. A lot of times they're just saying, here's what happened. But this church was adding to their number daily. This was a healthy church. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. These people gave themselves to a weekly gathering. They went to the temple. They gathered together in a large group to worship. And then they broke up into small groups, house to house, taking their meals together, sharing their stuff with one another, and taking the Lord's Supper together. Connecting in smaller groups has always been the pattern of a healthy church. Always. Now, I would say this, though. Why have small groups become a thing in the last 60, 70 years? Well, the world has changed in the last 60 or 70 years. Uh, the world used to be, societies used to be really all built around small communities. They built around families. You'd have four generations in the same house. Now, as quick as we can, we kick the 18-year-old out, you know, and they want to go, too. Um, <laughs> but, but then we have these, you know, everybody has their own house, and now we can travel, and we have cars and all these things. Life has changed since the time of the Bible. Life has changed since 150 years ago. And so we're, we're busier now moving around rather than in a tight group with others. And so I, I would argue that the church looked at that situation and, and said, we need to be more intentional about being in community because the Bible is clear. We need to be in community. And in a lot of the world, it's just been, it just happens. That's, that's what, so you don't have to schedule. You don't have to have small groups. But for us, if we want to make this happen, let's be honest, it needs to go on our calendar, doesn't it? You know, maybe you're different. Maybe you have those connections with others in, in the church and you're gathering regularly and sharing life. Awesome. For most of us, we need to pencil that in. For most of us, we need to make a plan. And, and for us introverts, we need to make a plan to engage once we're there. We need to make a plan to actually open up ourselves and be willing to connect. But connecting has always been part of the church always been part of a healthy church, at least. So why do we get in groups? 
real quick, we're going to kind of zip through and see, you know, why do we get in groups and what's accomplished in groups? Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Remember back last week where Paul talked about in Hebrews, he said, don't forsake the gathering together, but when you do, encourage one another. Spur one another on to love and good deeds. So there's an aspect where we get together trying to bolster each other up, help others succeed in their mission to become like Jesus. But you see here, it says uh, in verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. When we gather, the word is central. But relationships are also central. But the word, the word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's the Bible often that's going to say the thing that you need. But often it's going to be another person holding their Bible open, going to the right passage saying, this is probably for you. And so it's centered around the word. That's why we believe life change happens in community around the word. In groups, we get to know God through his word and others. You ever seen Jesus in someone else? Jesus with skin on? You know, you know some things, but then you see somebody truly being compassionate. Or we've had times in our marriage, in our life, where, where people just showed up for us, maybe gave us something we needed right when we needed it. And that was just Jesus living in and through that person. And we got to know God through them. This happens in groups all the time. We, we had our rooted celebration a couple weeks ago where Paul's group and our group, we, we all did this rooted thing, which was really awesome. And now there's a group doing rooted and it's really awesome. But in the end, we got together and we just kind of talked about what happened over those 10 weeks. And it was fun listening to, to some people in the groups go, you know, whenever he spoke, he didn't talk much. But when he did, it was worth listening to. And that was kind of cool just to hear how these groups worked. You know, and I, I hear that maybe more than you guys do. I hear that about you. <laughs> when, when people say, you know, she doesn't talk much. But when she does, we all shut up and listen because there's value in what she has to say. You know, this person has another perspective that I don't get. Uh, I posted on our Facebook page asking people to say, you know, why do you like your outpost group? And I got four responses. <laughs> but I'm going to read them. <laughs> The, the first one was, we've made some really good friends at our outpost group. There's a lot of value in that. Another one said, my outpost group has been an amazing support system and prayer warriors. Meaning life happens, you get to pray for one another. We experienced that this morning, praying for somebody who's having surgery this week. We know what's going on in life. We get to enter into that. Another one said, had the opportunity to share some, some of the amazing things the Lord has done in my life and hear about others' adventures with him. I think that's great. God has done things in my life. I get to share that, but I also get to learn from you. That's the way God works. Another one, love, love, love. This is not a man writing this. Love, love, love. <laughs> Being able to connect with amazing people while focusing on the word of God. Also, it helps to have a community that holds you accountable as Christians. Winky face. <laughs> But, but these things are happening in community. No, that's in there. You can look it up. Um, as we enter groups, we get to know God through his word and through others. But here's something else. We are sanctified within community. Sanctified means we become like Jesus. It's the process of becoming like Jesus, and we won't arrive till the end. So if you meet somebody who's, who thinks that they're done being sanctified, they've arrived, ignore that person. Or admonish that person lovingly. 
but we're all still on the grow, which is wonderful about groups. That there's not the leader that goes, I've arrived and you all get to learn from me. Groups are wonderful because nobody's arrived and we're going to the word together and we are sanctified. We are made more and more like Jesus. Again, the goal is life change. That's why we prioritize groups. That's why when people say, how can I get involved? Get in a group. Eh, what else can I do? Well, you could get in this group. I'd rather not. How, what, what else? Well, there's groups over here. <laughs> you know, get, because we think it's that important for life change. You know, we've been in a lot of Bible studies. A lot of us. We've probably been in those Bible studies. So they're really about studying the Bible. And those aren't bad. Those are great. I've been to seminary. There's, some of them are great. But you're learning the Bible, but not really connecting or applying it. You know, often you'll see these theologians that they know all the deep words, but you don't see Jesus in their life. Or we have people who've been in the church a long time, and they, their bookshelf is full of all the studies they've done, but they have no real relationships. God's not using them for his mission. And these things don't really line up. And so for us, there's a, a book that's been influential called Sticky Church. Uh, Larry Osborne, a pastor in, in San Diego, he says it this way. He says, more important, he says, not that Bible studies are bad, and we, we agree, Bible studies are good things, but better is being in a relationship around the Word when life happens, you can go to the Word. Meaning, we learn not linear. You know, it's not like we learn all these things and put on the shelf, and now later when I need that, I'll remember it because I learned it. More often, the way we learn is through life. And so we have need-to-know moments, moments when life happens, we need to know the truth. We need to know who God is. And need to grow moments. Moments where, again, life happens or sin is entering in. We need to grow. And when those times happen, we're like fertile soil. That's when the word can enter in and really change. So when we get into community and we know one another and then life happens, somebody else, I love seeing this in groups, where life, somebody's sharing something or, or they need to know or they need to grow and somebody else just opens up the word and says, here's the verse that speaks right to that. And they share it and the other person, just this light bulb goes on and went, I get it. It's God using his word, using others when they need it. That's why community is so important. It says in verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. So we teach and admonish all y'all. <laughs> admonishing is a word that, that means to see a place that needs growth and enter in. It means to teach the mind what needs to be done with a little bit of a spur a little bit of a poke, this can be hard. To have somebody come up to you and go, here's a spot where I see you need some growth, that's hard to hear, isn't it? And if you don't know that person and they come up and try and criticize you, what do you do? I don't know who you are. But when you're in relationship and somebody comes up with love and they can share, then you can hear it and then growth can happen. So we're sanctified within community. Last thing. A warning. Because groups are so great, we can get stuck in them. And we can get so focused in that we don't carry out the mission. We are carrying out the mission of making disciples of one another, but the mission is also to be a witness. But there's a tendency in church to be us for and no more, isn't there? I love my group. I don't want to be around anybody else. So in groups, through community, we also carry out the mission of the church to make disciples meaning through our, our, our groups, we're also intentionally trying to go out to bring others in, to encourage each other to share the gospel, to keep carrying out the mission of being a witness and making disciples.
I had some group leaders many years ago. They had been in, in the same group for, I think, decades. And they were sharing with me a frustration. They said, nobody in our group is growing, and nobody in our group has any desire uh, to be a witness. I said, well, what have you done as group leader to help that? And they just looked at me blankly. I said, yeah, I mean, how have you helped teach them or admonish or encourage them to love and good deeds? And they went, that's, that's the Holy Spirit's job. I went, you're the group leader. The Holy Spirit's revealed this to you. You have the Bible. Enter in. It is the Spirit's job, but he might want to use you or me with his word to enter into the lives of others to carry out this mission. We are all about the mission here at Common Ground. We're talking about DNA. We are all about multiplying, going, seeing more saved and grown. Groups are central to that because we are planning to plant in Minden in September. Uh, we have a meeting this week on Tuesday with the principal of Pinion Hills Elementary School about meeting there. The way we are deciding that is when we have enough people in groups in a certain community, that's where we feel God leading us to put another location, another church. And that's our goal. That's our dream is to see a church near, you know, some of you are driving a long way to get here. What if there was one in your neighborhood that you were going right there, a healthy church, kingdom-minded for that neighborhood? That's our vision. That's our goal. Uh, originally, I thought our first church plant would be North Carson or East Carson because it's so dark in those areas. Um, you know, and it's really light and awesome where I live in Johnson Lane. But, but as we talked about it, we went, where are our people coming from? Well, close to half of our people are coming from Douglas coming from down there. Half of our groups are already located down there. Well, then it just makes sense that that's where we would go first. And then as we continue to carry out the mission and others come in and we multiply groups, where's the next place God wants us to go? Well, the next place where we have 50 to 100 people that are traveling a little, and we'll put another one there. But it's all based on groups because life change happens in community around the word. Uh, now, unfortunately, normally our application right now would be getting a group, but our groups are ending Right? I mean, next week. This is our last week of groups. Uh, but this is intentional so that we have the summer off. But through the summer, intentionally connect with those in your group. Connect with others, part of this church, so when September comes, you can join another group. But also, Tuesday nights, 7 to 8, you can come here and pray. There's no better way to connect than through prayer. Let me pray. Lord Jesus Christ, um, thank you for the way that you change us to be like you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us each other and making us different. If we were all the same, none of us would grow. God, I do pray, though, for a heart of softness. God, that we wouldn't be hard and unchangeable, but that we would be soft and moldable so you could transform us into the image of your Son. And God, I ask that we would enter into relationships with one another that that can be more aptly done, that you could work through us for each other. And then beyond that, use us to reach this community. God, let others come to our groups, come to our house when we're having people over, come to a service on Sunday and see, this is really an authentic group of people. They're not faking it. They really love God. They really love one another.